seated. I pray that you have been blessed by focusing on Christ this morning. I so appreciate uh, the, the set that Ben brought before us, and, and uh, it is about Jesus. Amen? It, he is the one who saved us. He's the one that's put us in position to, to be in relationship with God. I pray you're encouraged by that. I just want to celebrate some of the things that are happening within the church. If you were here last week at 9.30, you saw Lindsay get baptized. And then at 11 o'clock, a young lady by the name of Emerson was baptized. And I just want to celebrate the movement of people coming to know and receive Jesus as their Savior. Let's praise God for that. Hey, we're going to keep celebrating. Next Sunday, we're going to be celebrating outside. We're going to be focusing on Christ. It is a year ago this week that we began to regather outside after being apart for uh, maybe too long. You know, it was, it was definitely hard on many of us to be apart and worship that long. A year ago uh, this week, we began to regather. So we're going to gather next Sunday in the parking lot like we did a year ago at 10 a.m. So uh, plan ahead for that. Make sure you're available for that service. Immediately following that, we're going to uh, share a meal together. Um, we'll be able to uh, gather inside if you need to be inside or outside. Uh, bring a uh, you know, a lawn chair or a blanket to, to spread out, but it's going to be a great day. And I, I would ask you to consider a friend that you might bring. Um, if you have a FCC t-shirt of the past, of the present, or maybe one you can pick up in the hallway today, they're in the, F, uh, the Family Life Center, only $5. Pick up a shirt and wear that to that service just for the sake of unity. Uh, we might get a, a big group picture or something. It's going to be a, a great day. But this weekend, we have uh, an honor, I think also a responsibility. It's a privilege to slow down and say thank you to God for those who paid the ultimate sacrifice for the freedoms that we enjoy. Our nation enjoys such tremendous freedoms to worship, to raise our families, to live, but that came at a very high price paid by many uh, servicemen and women who laid down their lives to provide and protect our freedom. I don't know if you realize this, sometimes we can quickly forget there have been almost 650,000 servicemen and women who've died to provide and protect our freedom. That's amazing. Um, I don't know if any of you are directly connected to that. If so, would you please stand? If you have a nephew, a brother, a dad, an aunt, uncle, grandfather, uh, a sister who uh, passed away protecting our freedom, would you stand up in the room? Uh, the first service had a number. Um, let's, let's pause right now. Uh, maybe you're watching online. Uh, I want to thank you for uh, your service and the sacrifice of your family if you lost a loved one in this way. Um, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the freedoms that we have to worship you now, to focus on Jesus. That freedom is a gift from you, but it's also uh, many have been led to, to pay a high price, a sacrifice of their life for that. Father, we rejoice um, and we uh, celebrate uh, what you've done in, in our country and we know that uh, many families have hurt and, and have lost very much because of, because of that sacrifice. Father, we thank you for those men and women. And right now, uh, we, uh, help, we, we pray that you help us lead us to, to live out the freedoms uh, that, that we've been given to, to bring honor and glory to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus himself said, there is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Now, Jesus did that in the context of uh, a spiritual context. Uh, very few of us will probably ever ask to, to lay down a life for the freedom of our country. None of us could ever do it in a spiritual context. Only Jesus could do that. And while many of us never will have to lay down our lives, in today's passage in Core 52, 
and Jesus' teaching, he, he gives us a tough teaching. See, to lay down your life would be one intense moment, but Jesus calls us to daily uh, shine for him, to live for him in this passage we're going to see today. It's from Matthew chapter 7, and Jesus is summarizing the Sermon on the Mount. In fact, he's summarizing, he himself says, all the law and prophets. He's calling us to a religion that goes far beyond what people thousands of years ago lived and what many people live today. He calls us to a religion that's radically different. See, oftentimes religion, if we're not careful, can become about what we don't do. I don't know if you can relate to this. I grew up uh, in the 70s and 80s, and religion uh, for uh, uh, my growing years was a lot about what you don't do. Anybody can relate to that? You, you don't do this, you don't do that. And if you, if you just don't do those things, you're going to be a fairly good Christian. And, and if we make it all about that, we miss the point. Too often, following God is making sure we don't do certain things. And that's based a lot about the Old Testament focus. The Old Testament had 613 laws of things to do and not to do. What's interesting, if you look at the numbers, 248 of them were things to do, like honor your father and mother. 248. While 356 of them were things not to do. Can you imagine keeping track of 248 things every day you were to do and 365 things you weren't to do? That's one for every day of the year that not only you were to know and do that day, but all the other ones. It was every day uh, things that we were to do and not to do, and it was impossible to keep up with. I mean, just consider for a moment if there were seven laws and the next today and throughout the rest of the week you were not to do these seven things. Just, these were actually uh, one of the 365 things. And just think of this next week if you had to keep track of this. The, the Word of God says, do not eat unclean fowl. I don't know how you keep track of that at KFC. It would just be awkward. You know, is this clean or unclean? Uh, one, one law said, do not swear needlessly. A lot of times we think of swearing, of cussing. And that's not what it's talking about. It's that, it's that swearing, I swear I'm telling the truth. And it says it, it, we're not to do that needlessly. I'm not sure how, when it's needed and when it's not. But the word of God says don't swear needlessly. Another one, you may know this one well. This would be the one for, uh, I guess, Tuesday. Don't bow down to an idol. We've heard that before. Uh, Wednesday, you, you need to focus on this one. Do not covet what belongs to another. That, that's a very positive one not to do. Another one would say from the Old Testament, do not sow seed, uh, different kinds of seed in one field. You know, that, that seems random, but God's word said that. Don't sow different seeds in one field. Uh, on, on Friday, here's one for you that I had, had forgotten about. Do not touch or eat a weasel. The word of God just condemns weasels. I, it, you know, the, we know this, the word of God condemns pork, an unclean animal, but God had something against weasels too. And I'm sure uh, as most of the, uh, the laws were to keep us healthy and, and set apart for his worship in the Old Testament, they had very clear meanings, but I don't know how that would work today. It makes me wonder if that phrase, oh, he's a weasel, if it comes from this, this passage, I don't know. How about this one? Do not wear garments made of wool or linen mixed together. Seems like a random thing not to do, but you could, you could keep track of all of these in one week and then you add every day of the year to add another and add another and you know what happens? Who could keep track of these 365 things not to do? No one. Not one person has ever lived to be able to fulfill the law of things not to do or things to do. And we no longer live under the law. I'm so thankful for that. We can eat chicken each day of the week. We can, we can do this. We can eat bacon. Uh, uh, some of you have pets probably as weasels. It's weird. I, I just, that's personal to me. 
But, but these things, uh, we have so much freedom to do this. But growing up in southern Indiana is probably not much than this. We had other sets of things you don't do. I don't know if you can relate to this. I grew up a lot in the 80s, like I said. And there were a smaller list of things that, even though we're under grace, we were just knew we weren't supposed to do. Like, we weren't supposed to steal. Don't steal. Don't sleep around. Don't cheat. Don't cheer for the cubs. We had these lists. We just had these lists of things Christians don't do. All joking aside, as a teenager, I remember one nice lady at church came up to me one Sunday, and I was probably 14, maybe 15, and she said, Tyson, good Christian boys just don't do certain things. I was like, okay, what are you, what are you getting at? You know, what, what are you going to talk about? I said, okay. She went on to say, uh, don't drink, smoke, chew, or go with girls who do. I don't know if you, have you ever heard that saying before? I had heard that, and I was like, what are you getting at? It's not like I'm attracted to Jezebel or something. But she went on to tell me about her granddaughter. She was wanting to have me notice her granddaughter as someone who doesn't do these things. But for many of us, growing up with religion meant you don't do things. And some of that's good. It calls us to a high morality. It calls us often to be holy and avoid problems and avoid hurting people. But here's the point. Jesus is confronting this mentality. It's so much more the Christian life of what not to do. Jesus is even more concerned about what we do to others. I don't know if you've heard this phrase. Do to others what you would have them do to you. You've heard that before? What's it called? Anybody know? The golden rule. Jesus is the one who said that. In fact, that, that is Jesus speaking at the end of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. In Matthew 5, 6, and 7, he gives the greatest sermon of all time. And the, at the middle of uh, Matthew chapter 7, he says this phrase. He says, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Long before Jesus shared this message, though, there was another rule. It, it's, it's been known as the silver rule. Jesus' rule is the golden rule. And at this point, uh, he, he's, de, he's uh, counteracting the silver, rule, the silver rule, which was this. What you don't want others to do, don't do to them. That was later known as the silver rule. But before Jesus' time, multiple philosophers, many rabbis, had their own version of the silver rule. Uh, don't do what you don't want others to do. And I believe it directly lined up with 365 other laws of the Old Testament of things not to do. And they said, if you don't want others to do these things, then don't do it to them, which has value. And I would say many of you are fulfilling perfect, into perfect form right now. See, the silver rule can be good, and you're, you're doing it right now because you're not doing anything else. If you're here now, listening to me and not doing anything else, you are fulfilling the silver rule. Congratulations. Now, for those of you who are pestering your spouse or your brother, you're not fulfilling that, even though no one else sees it. But the reality is, when we don't do things to others that we don't want done to us, we're fulfilling the silver rule. But Jesus says that's not enough. He takes teaching to another level, to a tougher spot. Because the golden rule isn't passive, it's proactive. And it produces a blessing. This is how we're called to live. A commitment to the golden rule will set you apart as a person. Uh, very seldom do we really uh, applaud someone for not doing something. But when you treat others the way you want to be treated, it elevates you as a person. It elevates your family. I would suggest to you it will elevate your business. It, it will elevate this church because in that, we look more like Jesus. And here's the big part. It's not just because it makes us good. It brings glory to God. 
The golden rule is proactive and produces a blessing. So today we're going to look at its purpose, its priority, and put it into practice. The context of the golden rule, remember, is the Sermon on the Mount. It's the capstone to potentially the greatest sermon ever preached. And Jesus, as he states this, is not uh, stating exactly what we're to do or not do, but he is showing kingdom ethics to kingdom people. He's not teaching us how to survive. He's teaching us to thrive, to give glory to God. We need to understand this. Jesus in this teaching is not showing us a way to earn our spot in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is showing once we're in the kingdom of heaven, this is how we live in light of that. Because we cannot earn our way to heaven, but because we've received God's grace, we're going to offer grace to others and be good to them. Jesus makes it clear. Think about this. Earlier in the sermon... He makes it clear we do not get a pass into heaven because of things we don't do. In fact, he says, okay, you don't do these things, uh, that's fine, but make sure your heart is in line with what God is saying, not just not doing these things. For example, remember he talks about don't murder. He says, don't commit adultery. He goes, while you're not to do that, he, goes, Take it. he takes it further. He says, don't even let anger be in your heart. Instead of not just murder, he says, instead of not just committing adultery, he says, don't even let lust live in your eyes and your heart. Jesus is wanting us to know just not doing bad things is not enough. Our heart needs to lead us to do good things to others. That's what it's connected to. Jesus is simply saying it's not enough just to not have bad actions. We need to have good actions. We need to share the gift of grace like God has shared it with us. It's in the text. Look back to the word. In Matthew 7, verse 12, when we see the the golden rule, it says this. So, a lot of times we want to breeze right past that, but that's the connection point to the gospel. So, in everything you do, do to others what you would have them do to you. What's he talking about, so? So what? It's right in the passage before that in the Sermon of the Mount. He says this in Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you'll find. Knock and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your sons ask for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus here is saying, God has given you everything you need and all these blessings, all this grace, all this generosity. So you need to treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat them in relationship to how God's treated you. Sometimes we think of the golden rule as something we do to kind of knuckle down and be a good person. But Jesus is saying, it's connected to what God has done for you. So God has been gracious and generous to you, so you do the same to others. That's what you're fulfilling, the law and the prophets. Sometimes we don't understand the golden rule until we first understand what God has done for us. It flows from how he's offered grace to, to you. The purpose of the golden rule flows from the power of the gospel. Here's what you need to do, I think, to live out the golden rule every day well. And this is your challenge for today from Jesus. Live the golden rule. Uh, You'll never be able to live the golden rule if you're just doing it on your own strength and might. Jesus is saying, think back to how God has been gracious to you, so that's how you should live to others. It it flows out of that. Remember, God was once gracious to you as well. Sometimes we think, well, I haven't 
done all those bad things for so long. I've kind of got my uh, bad list taken care of. I've arrived. But here's what Paul reminds us. We've got to remember that we once too received the gospel, the good news. Look what he says to Titus in Titus chapter 3. Paul writes, once we, that means all of us. If you're here today and you're like, man, I haven't chewed or smoked or went with any girls who do for a long time. I've got this figured out. He reminds us once we too were foolish and disobedient. We were misled and became slaves to many lusts and pleasures. Our lives were full of evil and envy and we hated one another. The exact opposite of fulfilling the golden rule. There was a time when because of sin, because of selfishness, we hated uh, people in general. But When God our Savior revealed his kindness and love, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us new birth and new life through the Holy Spirit. Paul says we need to remind ourselves often that no matter how much you've got your life cleaned up, there was a time that you too received grace and mercy from God and you were saved, not because of what you've done, but because of him. So live that way to others. When we recognize that we too were the ones that needed grace and mercy and we needed God's love, it empowers us to do that to others. That's what it's tied to. That's the so. So you were given this, share it with others. It's not behavior modification. There's so many things we do to modify our behavior that have some advantage in life, but it's worth about this much. But when you realize you were a sinner uh, headed to hell and God saved you because of his mercy, it changes everything. So Jesus here saying, so this is how you should live as well. Paul reminds us of this in Romans 5. He says, but God demonstrated his own love for, his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So treat others the way you want to be treated. Treat others the way God treated you. God has blessed us in Christ with so much blessing. Jesus here is saying, so ask him for the things you need, and then treat others the way you want to be treated. Here's a big connection to this passage. A lot of times we ask for things uh, that we need, and, and God says he'll give it to us, and, and so that we'll be happy. No, in reality, we ask for things, and God will deliver it so that we can be a blessing to others to show them the good news of the gospel. At times, though, if you're like me, we're tempted to think, but if I treat others the way I want to be treated, I'm going to be taken advantage of. I don't know how many of you would admit that. There are times you hold back from really being gracious and generous because you don't want to be taken advantage of. And the world will take advantage of you. But here's what I've learned from this. While that happens sometimes, if you're doing it with a pure heart, God will make sure your needs are met. If you ask him for uh, additional needs and if you were taken advantage of by the world, so be it. I've never regretted being generous with a pure heart. Never. Not once. Sometimes we think that that maybe we won't have enough if we are generous with others. But the word of God says, ask and it'll be given you. Seek and you'll find. God will give you more than you can imagine. Not so you can have everything you want, but the Bible says so that you can treat others the way you want to be treated. Now that's generosity. That's the gospel. We live out this rule to point others back to Jesus and the grace that he gives That's what generosity really means. That's the focus of generosity. One of the core values of our church right now, and I think it's been for a lot of years, but about 18 months ago, the elders and the staff and the deacons established some core values, and one of them is we value generosity. And if you just read that with the mindset of a a human, you know what it can sound like? We value the offering plate being full. 
That is not what it means. You're like, we don't even pass the offering plate right now. That's right. We, we value the boxes at the eggs is being full. That's not what it means. We value generosity because first God was generous to us. In fact, the word of God says this, we love because he first loved us. We're generous to one another outside of the church building, in our families, in our businesses, because God first loved us. We treat each other the way we want to be treated because God has given us so many blessings. That's what generosity means. This week in staff meeting, we were talking about Core 52, the chapter before, the one we're on today, and it's about money. And Nathan Andrus was in a, a staff meeting, and he explained something that he has ownership of well that I really loved. And I'm going I'm to share with you what he said about this concept of generosity. He says, we want people to live generously. He's talking about the church, the Christ, or Christians. Not because of what we want from them, but because of what we want for them. See, we, we desire for all of us to be living generous lives, not so our bank account can grow, not so the offering plate can be full, but because when we know, when we live generously, we are treating others the way we want to be treated, and it points people back to the gospel. And we're blessed, and they're blessed, and, and God receives glory. Man, if you were here Wednesday night, John Heston talked about the chapter on money. And he spoke about uh, uh, the prodigal son and how the prodigal father, and what prodigal really means is to be extravagant and, and reckless with the resources to show appreciation and love for. And when the prodigal son returns home, the father, in the word of God, in the NIV, says he threw a party. But John had a, a Bible translation this week called the Cotton uh, Translation. And here's what it says. The father whooped it up when the, when the son came home. He whooped it up. He, he extravagantly threw a party. He was generous beyond what anyone could imagine. He whooped it up. And here's what I'm telling you today. When you see someone hurting, when you see someone in need, treat them the way you want to be treated and whoop it up a little bit. Be generous to the point where it doesn't make sense. Be so gracious that they have to look at you and say, why are you loving me this way? Why are you treating me this way? Because it points them to the gospel. Not because you're a good person. Not because they deserve it. But because 1 John chapter 4 says this, we love because he first loved us. See, the main purpose of the golden rule is not so we'll be good or gain something. It's to share the gospel, that Jesus loved us enough to die for us. And in that perfect example, when we live the way we want to be treated, we, we push it back to him. See, the purpose of the golden rule flows out of the power of the gospel. The priority of the golden rule, though, flows from all of God's word, not just the gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the priority of the golden rule is apparent in all of God's word. Look back to the text. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 7, verse 12. He said, so in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the gospel and the prophets. See, when we understand the golden rule, we better understand God's heart completely from Genesis all the way through Revelation. The truth is, from the very beginning, God had a plan to restore us by being generous, by giving his son. Jesus says this in Matthew 5, verse 17. This is the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, do not think I've come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, when we boil the entire law down to this, do to others as you would have them do to you, he is not negating the, the law, but he is giving us a way to fulfill it without being worried about keeping track of 365 things we're not to do. God has freed us to live, not to be held back by the law. 
Jesus did not come to condemn the past. He came to live it perfectly and give us example to do that for his glory. But the law also tells us some very good things to live. In Micah chapter 6, here's what it says. The Lord told you that, that what is good. And he told us it requires us of you. It says to do what is right, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with God. All throughout the Old Testament, it wasn't about don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. God also said, Here, here's what I want you to do. He says, do what's right. You often know what's right, even before someone tells you. And it's not just right based on the law of our country. You know what's right. You know what's good in your heart. Live that way. It also says love mercy. This is this idea that when someone has wronged you, when, when you could really stick it to them and nail them and, and create punishment for them, that you would hold back and give them something good instead of punishment. That's amazing. It also says walk humbly with your God to realize that you have been saved by grace. It, it always lets us have this reminder that we haven't saved ourselves. It's not by the righteous things we've done. It's by his mercy. Paul also says this in the New Testament, Galatians 5, for the whole law can be summed up by this one command, to love your neighbor as yourself. See, if we get this, we have a better understanding of what God's been doing since the beginning of time. He wants to restore relationships. Uh, a lot of times in the past, honestly, I've thought the golden rule was something that we should really teach preschoolers so they could be nice to each other. I don't know if any of you can relate to that. That really underplays the golden rule. But the golden rule is something we can give like preschoolers to do so they can be good. It's so much more than that. It's what all Christians can do to bring God glory. Here's the last point. The practice of the golden rule is for all followers of Christ. It's for all of us. It's not for toddlers alone. It's not for people who are in ministry. It is for every believer in Jesus Christ. Everyone who's made Jesus Lord, we're to follow the golden rule. So how are you doing? This is for you to consider for yourself. How are you doing at treating others the way you want to be treated? Because sometimes if we're not careful, we start treating others the way we can just get by. We treat others in just enough kindness so that we're not noticed. Uh, sometimes we treat others in, in a manner uh, that we hope no one thinks we're bad. I've actually called my brother and said, hey, was this a bad thing to do? You know, I pushed the limits just enough to, to not think that it was bad. And that's wrong. That's bad. Because Jesus said, treat others the way you want to be treated. How are you doing with that? I think to really understand that, we've got to put the people we come into contact with and, and put ourselves in their shoes. I think that's a big part of the, the parable, the story of the Good Samaritan. We've covered it, uh, I think, four times in the last five Sundays to some extent. But there's one thing that we've left out so far. In the story of the Good Samaritan... As this guy is, is beaten and left for dead by robbers, uh, remember three people passed by. The Levite and the priest are the first two to pass by, and they do nothing. And, and the big question is why? Um, a couple weeks ago, uh, Christy Matthews asked me, why do you really think they passed by? And I think she was onto something. I've heard this before. I think the main reason they passed by is they did not want to do something that was wrong. The Bible says one thing for sure you don't do if you're a Levite or priest is to touch a dead body. Because if you happen to touch a dead body, you are ceremonially unclean for the temple for a long time. So these guys pass by because they're more concerned about what they shouldn't do than helping a guy who's dying. 
And Jesus flips the whole law on, on the whole situation. And he says, the good Samaritan, the guy who saw the person hurting and disregarded the potential of touching a dead body, which he wasn't even dead yet, is the one who did the right thing. Because he put himself in this, in this man's shoes. Sometimes we give ourselves a break. Well, I'm not supposed to do this. You know, maybe, maybe we say, well, I'm not supposed to go to the bar. The Bible never says go to the bar, not going to the bar is wrong. The Bible says becoming drunk is wrong. We, 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 we get all these things mixed up, and sometimes there could be a place where you're to go uh, to care for someone that may take you out of your comfort zone where you've got to say, uh, I am caring more for this person than maybe what other people think I'm doing that's wrong. We've got to put people, ourselves, in someone else's shoes. So how are you going to do this week? Maybe it's a break at work or lunchtime. Maybe it's a between games on the ball field or the soccer Maybe it's just hanging out with friends. And it's that moment where everybody just starts to talk for a little bit, hang out. And somebody starts talking about that person that's not there. Let's say it's Ben or Belinda, whoever it may be. And they're not around at that moment and they start to gossip and spread rumors. And a lot of times, the way we think about it, as long as I'm not participating in that conversation, I'm okay. As long as I'm not the one that's doing the bad thing, it's okay to go on. But what would you want to do, have those people do for you? Is it okay just to sit back and let the conversation go? Or would Jesus say, do to others as you would have them do to you and step up and say, hey, why don't we talk about Ben when Ben's here? If you've got a question for Belinda, ask her when she's in the group and see how quiet the room gets. Next time there's a rumor or, or gossip going on, speak up and say, let's change the conversation so this person's here because I would want them to have some input on their own life. And you know what happens? At least when you're around, the gossip and rumors cease to continue. And here's the cool part. People realize you're a person that can be trusted. And they're going to come to you when they need help, when they have something to share that they can't share with anybody else. Or you might share it with someone else when they're not there. We need to be that type of person that treats others the way we want to be treated. Even as simple things as rumors and gossip. Or maybe this week when you start to realize, maybe you've already realized the last few months, that you haven't connected with someone for a long time. This may really impact someone listening online. You start to think, it's been a year since I've talked to this person or I've been involved in this family's life because maybe you've been at home and, and you have been uh, very much restricted in what you're doing and you start to realize, I haven't had a relationship with so-and-so for a long time and it feels like they don't care about me. What do you do when you do that, live that way, and feel that way in light of the golden rule? Well, I think there's times at this point, especially when you're tempted to feel like no one cares, like no one's reaching out, like no one is, is investing in you. You know what you need to do? You need to flip it. And you need to begin to treat others the way you want to be treated and reach out to that person who has seemingly had distance in your life, to reach out to that person that you think you've been hurt by and say, I think our relationship needs to be rekindled. I, I care about you. I want to know what's going on in your life. I want to know how I can be a part of your life and, and getting it back going. And in that, your relationship will begin to grow. Seriously. There's a time for many of us right now, no matter where you're at, that you may need to say, it's been a long time since we've got together. We need to talk. It's a long time since we have done anything together. I feel there's a distance between us and we need to restore our relationship. And you might even just go and give them a hug. And some of you are like, that's too much, especially some of you guys. So guys, maybe what you should do is call up your buddy and say, hey, let's go shoot some hoops. Uh, let's go fishing or let's, shoot, uh, let's go shoot something with our guns. Just do something, though, with a guy, with someone. 
Some of you ladies, invite your friends to do something that, that you've done together. But it's not acceptable to think, well, what? no one has reached out to me. I pray that you get my point. It's time that we treat others the way we want to be treated. In all honesty, at times, the best thing you can do for a relationship that's strayed is pray for that person. Pray for them, pray for them, and pray for them until God gives you a chance to talk to them and then say this, hey, I've been praying for you. What can I do for you? And treat them the way you want to be treated. Maybe you walked in here today and it's your first time back for a long time. Maybe it was last week and, or whenever it was and you realized that no one spoke to you. You thought everybody was going to realize this was your first time back and people were going to come and, and make over you and uh, maybe give you a hug and sit next to you and all those things. But honestly, nobody knows really how to act. But here's the reality. If you feel like no one cares at the moment when you realize that maybe you have been mistreated, flip it on them. And you be the one who goes around and makes sure that people are treated the way you want to be treated. Flip the situation and consider what you would want to have done to you. It's awesome to see happen. Last Sunday I saw it. My family was here from Indiana and up near uh, Ottawa region, Streeter area. They came in to see Dawson's graduation. and They were here at the 930 service. And, and as the kids came up on stage, they were here to celebrate that. And I was so thankful. But before service started, they got here extra early. And they probably were here a little after 9. So what was happening was our greeters were not at any of the doors yet. They weren't at their post to, to welcome people and help people in. So a large part of my family came into a door where there was no greeter. No one greeted them. No one said hello. And they turned the wrong corner and went down a hallway that they shouldn't have been in. And all of a sudden they realized that they weren't where they thought they were and they really didn't know where they were. They were turned around the building and it was a little awkward, I guess. Anybody ever got turned around this building? It surely never happens to anybody, does it? So that happened to my family. They're here like twice a year. They got turned around the building. About five minutes later, I guess, they were finally walking down this hall. I think the doors were still shut because the band was uh, still practicing. Uh, they had some technical difficulties, so they were running over. But my family's here early, and nobody's really paying attention. By the time I spot them, I could just tell things were awkward. It was kind of loud in the hallway. And, and I just said, hey, let me get, help you get settled in the room. So we had them set right over here, all of them together. And they were really alone in the room for a little while. I went back here to talk to our guest speaker for the day, Tony Wolf. And as I came back in the room, my entire family is over here except my sister. She was right down here about where Devin is. And she was talking to a young couple I'd never seen before. I was like, oh, this is interesting. My sister is talking to some, a couple that I don't even know. So I went and introduced myself. And my sister played the host. She's like, oh, this is uh, my brother. She, my sister's like second time here. He's like, he, she's the, the pastor of her church and she's making them feel comfortable. And I was so thankful that my sister, who just went from feeling unwelcome and awkward and not knowing what she sh could do, she went from that situation to being a host. She was compelled to do to others what she had wished had been done to her. She went from feeling weird to welcoming others. She went from looking like something was wrong to looking a lot like Jesus. And that couple had a great first experience in a time where they could have felt very awkward because someone treated others the way they wanted to be treated. Guys, if we live like that, it would change the church. It would change your life. It would change the world. Here's the reality. I give you permission to go from feeling awkward some days to being a host to welcoming people, to being the hands and feet of Jesus. In fact, I, I, I get excited about this. If on Sunday morning, if you love Jesus, you consider this your church home, if you would welcome two to three people that you don't know every Sunday, do you know what would happen? No one would be left out. 
The church would be radically changed. And I would say within a short amount of time, this church would grow even faster than it's growing now because we would begin to treat people the way we want to be treated. Let's consider next Sunday and how we can put it into practice. We're going to have the outdoor service at 10 o'clock. So if you come at 9.30, just hang out, be, be ready to go at 10. But, but no, we're taking one, uh, one, uh, three services and combining them into one. And we're also giving up a large portion of our parking lot for gathering out, out there in our lawn chairs and our blankets. So we're going to have a little bit of a parking dilemma. So what should you do? Some of you are thinking, i got to get here early so I can get a spot. That's one way to look at it. But Nathan has called the elementary school and the junior high, and we've been given permission to park at the elementary and all the way down that street in front of the uh, junior high and between that and the baseball field. We need to fill that up. And if you can walk, if, if it's not uh, too taxing for you, I would encourage you to get here early and park as far away as time allows to leave a spot here for a guest who is going to come here late that you've invited. And in that small act of service, you're going to be fulfilling the golden rule and treating others the way you want to be treated. But I've got to walk a little bit? Yes. And in that moment, you're going to make a difference and do to others what you would have them do to you. It's exciting to see firsthand. Last Sunday, I saw another example of it. Our guest speaker, Tony Wolf, was here. And man, he, he was inspiring. He did a great job. If you haven't seen that, go back on YouTube and watch his message. Um, he was an orphan who, who ended up having his life changed by a 17-year-old mother who adopted him. And now he invests much of his time on, on making sure orphans around the world have food and a place to live and education. In his life so far, he is right at 70,000 orphans that he has placed with people like you to provide their basic needs for. I find that amazing. Last week, uh, the church family sponsored 36 orphans who, who need food and a place to live. So I, I, I applaud you for that. Congratulations. Thank you for doing that. Let's, let's praise God for that. That wasn't his main purpose, but that was a product of him being here to inspire us. But 7.15 that day, he calls me. He says, Tyson, I don't know if I'm going to make it. He said, I'm traveling from Indianapolis, you know, on, on Interstate 70, and I've got this tire that keeps going flat. Almost every exit, I'm pulling into a service station and filling it up. By the time I get the next exit, it's got like 10 pounds of pressure in it. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to make it. I'm like, oh, this is a problem, you know. So I, I thought, think about plan B, and then I, I, I quickly say, well, where can I come? I'll, I'll come and get you. Where are you at, you know? And he says, well, I'm just going to keep traveling that way. I think I can get there about quarter after eight. I said, well, that, that, that will work out. And he ends up pushing through. And the last uh, exit that he has that he could stop, he just pushes through. And he pretty much ruins his tire because it's low on pressure. He pulls in the parking lot. It's 8 o'clock. Everything else works fine. But after the 8 o'clock service, he reminds me. He says, Tyson, my tire is not going to work out. I've got to go from here after the third service and go to Iowa, about 220 miles away for an evening service. He says, I just need somebody to change my tire that's, that's going flat to my donut so I can keep moving. I was like, man, that's not a great idea. You're not supposed to go that far on a donut, 50 mile an hour, 200. It, it's, it's a recipe for a problem. So after the first service, we're walking back in the Family Life Center, and a gentleman overhears Tony and I talking. And he, ends, he keeps following me. I'm going out to check on uh, Tony's tire, and the gentleman comes up behind me, he's James Clinky, and he says, hey, can I help you with this? And I said, sure, let's look at this tire. And I, after we looked at it, I said, man, I don't know where we can get a tire today. i got to go back into the, do the second service. Can you just change it to the donut? He goes, Tyson, if it was me, I would not want to drive to Iowa on this donut. I'm going to see if I can get a tire for this guy. 
And I said, man, I don't know where you're going to get a tire. He said, let me take care of it. So we go back inside. Tony gives him the keys. Before the third service starts, James is back on the property, hands Tony his keys, says, hey, you've got a new tire on your car. What James had done was he had realized that he wanted to do for Tony what he would have had, wanted someone to do for him. And that changed Tony's entire day because Tony left here after preaching three services to travel to Iowa to do an evening service there. And that inspired him so much so he thought he was going to have to spend the night in Iowa. But he had energy and he had a safe car to drive. He made it all the way back to Indianapolis to spend the, the, the ending of the evening with his wife. All because someone wanted to treat someone the way they wanted to be treated. And I want to celebrate what James did for that. Let's praise God for James. A good friend of mine, we were discussing the golden rule and what I was going to share about this. Because at times, it's like, hey, this is, what a, this is what we teach preschoolers. No, this is what we teach every person. We all need to practice this. So how are you doing? Because it's not just about you doing good. It's not just about you not being bad. See, the hope of this, and this friend reminded me, when the world sees us following the golden rule, that they see us being different and they find it attractive. And then we live out the words of Jesus from the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount where he says this, may they see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. See, the golden rule is about bringing glory to God. Sure, there's a lot of other blessings that come from it, but when the bottom line is God receives the glory and people are drawn to the gospel and more people are saved. If you're here today and you've always wondered why so-and-so is so nice to you, why they do these good things, why they're generous, why they, they don't react negatively when you mess up, it is because they're wanting you to see Jesus in them. And if you've noticed the difference, it's so that you would know Jesus and accept Jesus as your Savior. And maybe you need to hear that today. You've been watching for him a while, uh, for a while from a distance, and you're like, this is different. This person acts differently, they treat me differently. They've been following the golden rule. It is for God's glory so that you would see the gospel and respond. Today we're going to sing a song about us living out God's love. If you'd like to respond to that love, if you'd respond to the gospel and have Jesus as your Lord and Savior, please come forward. Man, I'd love to, to walk with you during that path and pray with you and begin to follow the golden rule together. Father in heaven, Help us to put this into practice. Help us to always realize it's not just the purpose of not being bad, but it's the purpose of giving God glory. Help us to share your love and draw more people to your son Jesus. His name we pray. Amen.